Thank you for joining us for the parenting program. My name is Angie Flynn. Hi, I'm reading from the parents' website. Teens are in a mental health crisis. Here's how parents can help. Mental health issues are on the rise, particularly among young teens and adults, but experts agree there is both help and hope. Parents, teachers, counselors, coaches, and caregivers can empower and assist children in numerous ways. By Kimberly Zapata, updated on February 14, 2023. Mental health has become a talking point in recent years, and for good reason. Millions of Americans live with depression, anxiety, and other mental health conditions. Stress levels are also at an all-time high. According to the American Psychological Association, or APA, 27% of Americans experience such intense levels of stress that it affects their daily lives. This means that more than a quarter of surveys respondents said that on most days, they were so stressed that they couldn't function. Of course, Children are not immune to these feelings, problems, and stressors and conditions. According to a 2021 U.S. Surgeon's General Report, young people are facing a mental health crisis, one which may have devastating effects. Mental health challenges in children, adolescents, and young adults are real and widespread. Even before the pandemic, an alarming number of young people struggled with feelings of helplessness, depression, and thoughts of suicide, and rates have increased over the past decade. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy said in the report, the future well-being of our country depends on how we support and invest in the next generation. This information is for many unsurprising. After enduring more than two years of rolling shutdowns, lockdowns, isolation, fear, sickness, grief, loss, and uncertainty, the children are undoubtedly not all right. Increased instances of bullying and social media use are also impacting our kids' well-being. What's more, teen girls in particular are experiencing record levels of sadness, hopelessness, and suicide risk, according to a 2023 Centers for Disease Control and Prevention report. Rates of emotional distress and sexual violence have also risen. But what can we do? How can we support our children and improve their mental well-being? Here's everything you need to know about teen mental health and suicide prevention. How to talk to your teen about mental health. While discussing and prioritizing mental health is important, broaching the topic can be hard. Many teens do not want to talk about their thoughts, let alone their feelings, and this can make sensitive conversations tough. Scratch that. It can make them seem impossible. But having an open line of communication is essential. It is important that parents talk openly and regularly about mental health with their teens and take a proactive stance, says Christine U. Montier, MD, Chief Medical Officer of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Here are a few ways to start the conversation. Ask your child how they're doing and what's happening in the world. This can be as simple as asking, are you okay? Listen intently and without judgment. 
While you may hear things that make you uncomfortable, you can and should offer judgment-free support because there is often stigma attached to mental health conditions. Children can feel ashamed to talk about their worries, obsessions, compulsions, impulsivity, and other behavior problems. An article by the National Alliance on Mental Health states, Talk with them about what they are experiencing. Listen with curiosity and emphasize with them. And avoid statements which are full of shame and blame. Learn. Try to understand where your child is coming from and what they may be going through. Educate yourself about the impact of bullying, isolation, stress, and grief. And familiarize yourself with common mental health conditions like anxiety and depression. Acknowledge their frustrations, feelings, and fears. Do not minimize your child's emotions of life experiences. Remember, a little validation goes a long ways. Follow their cues. Things like, tell me more about that. I'd love to understand more about what that's like for you. When he said that, did that to you, how did that make you feel? These statements let them know you are listening while placing the power in their hands. Finally, remember that it's okay to be patient. If your child isn't ready to talk, leave the invitation open, adds Dr. Yu Montier. Say something like, whenever you want to talk, I'm here to listen and support you. Or I won't judge and I'll never stop supporting you no matter what challenges you face. The likelihood that your child will open up when you least expect it, whether it's sitting by side by side rather than face to face in the car or engaged in some other activity together is high. How to talk to your teen about suicide. Most children have been exposed to suicide, whether they've seen it, the subject on TV, had a person close to them struggle with it or die by it, or experienced suicidal thoughts themselves. The CDC's 2023 Youth Risk Behavior Survey found suicide risk factors heading in the wrong direction. The numbers taken from 2021 showed a 22% of high school students seriously considered attempting suicide, 18% made a suicide plan, and 10% acted on those thoughts. Those numbers have steadily risen since 2011. A 2020 report found a 31% increase in ER visits. As such, it's imperative you talk to your teen about suicide in an honest, direct, and open way. If your child is talking about any level of distress, don't be afraid to ask whether they're feeling changes in their mood or level of stress or having thoughts of suicide, says Dr. Yuva Matir. Asking your child directly about suicide will not increase the risk or plant the idea. Rather, it will create an opportunity to offer support and let them know you care enough to have the conversation. Ask your teen what they know about suicide. Gather information, present facts, and dispel any myths that they may have heard. A previously published parent's article states, Answer questions they may have without shame, judgment, or fear. Validate their feelings. Say things like, That must be hard. Or, I'm sorry you're dealing with that. What can I do to support you? You may also want to help adolescents come up with a plan of what they'll say or do if the topic of suicide comes up in their social circles, says Alicia Ramundo, a mental health advocate and project manager at Foundry and 
online health and wellness resource for teens and young adults age 12 to 24, because chances are the subject will. What you should do if your teen seems or says they are suicidal. While all mental health matters should be taken seriously, you should handle thoughts of suicide with the utmost care. If your teen says that they are suicidal, take it very seriously, says Brady Porsche, a licensed professional counselor with MindPath Health in Dallas, Texas. Don't try to love them out of it. Do not take it upon yourself to counsel them, and do not dismiss their thoughts or feelings. Any child experiencing suicidal thoughts needs professional help, Porsche adds. Contact a mental health professional immediately and or take them for an assessment at an inpatient facility. This doesn't mean they will be admitted, but it's best to allow a trained professional to determine suicidality. Warning signs that someone may be at imminent risk for attempting suicide. Talking about wanting to die and or wanting to kill themselves. Talking about feeling empty or hopeless or having no reason to live. Talking about feeling trapped or feeling there are no solutions. Being preoccupied with death in conversation, writing, drawing, or music. Talking about being a burden to others. Withdrawing from family and friends. Giving away personal possessions. Saying goodbye to family and friends. Increased or unnecessary risk-taking, particularly in activities which could lead to death like drinking, drugging, or driving extremely fast. Increased substance use abuse. Extreme mood swings. Resources for suicidal teens. Suicide may be the second leading cause of death for children and young adults aged 10 to 24, but it doesn't have to be. There is another way out. There is hope. Below are some resources, particularly for suicidal teens. Crisis Text Line. Free and completely confidential, Crisis Text Line offers SMS mental health services to anyone in crisis. Simply text HOME to 741-741 to connect with a trained counselor. Not Okay app. Are you hurting? Struggling? Perhaps you're having a hard time reaching out? Download the Not Okay app app now to let others know you need support via text, phone call, or GPS location. National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, free and accessible 24-7. This service is available to anyone in suicidal crisis or emotional distress. Call 1-800-273-8255. The Trevor Project, Founded in 1998 for LGBTQ plus youth, the Trevor Project provides crisis intervention services to those aged 25 and under. Call the Trevor Lifeline at 866-488-7386 for immediate support. Resources for Suicide Attempt Survivors After a suicide attempt, you may be unsure how you feel, anger, grief, Happiness, sadness, joy, shame, and guilt are all common and completely normal reactions for survivors and their parents. But no matter what, know your feelings are not bad, they're not wrong, and you're not alone. There is help and hope. National Alliance on Mental Illness, or NAMI, 
NAMI is an educational advocacy organization focused on mental health. The group has numerous resources for suicide prevention and offers both support groups and a helpline, which suicide attempt survivors can access Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. Suicide Voices of Education, or SAVE. SAVE offers peer support services to help you connect with others who understand what you're going through. That's Suicide Awareness Voices of Education. The JED Foundation. Specifically designed for teens and young adults, the JED Foundation provides educational resources for many mental health challenges. They also offer tips and resources for managing your own mental health and or supporting a friend. United Suicide Survivors Survivors International. United Suicide Survivors International connects people who have experienced suicide loss. Survive suicide attempts and or suicidal thoughts or feelings with like-minded individuals and peers. Resources for survivors of suicide loss. If you know or love someone who has died by suicide, you know how difficult navigating life after can be. The loss is profound and the act comes with a lot of complicated emotions. But you're not alone. There is help and support. Below are some helpful resources for suicide loss survivors. Alliance of Hope for Suicide Loss Survivors Created by Survivors for Survivors, Alliance of Hope for Suicide Loss Survivors provides online support and other services for people who are coping with suicide loss. Friends for Survival For suicide loss survivors and professionals who work with them, Friends for Survival has a monthly newsletter and runs a suicide helpline. 1-800-646-7322 That's the Suicide Loss Helpline 1-800-646-7322. Parents of Suicide and Friends and Families of Suicides. This website provides a public message board form, a listserv for parents, a separate listserv for others, and an online chat room for survivors of suicide loss. Tragedy Assistant Programs for Survivors. Designed specifically for people grieving the loss of loved one who died while serving the U.S. Armed Forces, this organization provides special resources and programs for suicide loss survivors. United Survivors, a space and place where people who have had, who have experienced suicide loss, suicide attempts, and or suicidal thoughts and feelings can connect to use their lived experience to advocate for policy, systems, and cultural change. If you or someone you know is having suicidal thoughts, please call the new the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org or text START to 741 741- 741 to immediately speak to a trained counselor at Crisis Text Line. In a related article, I self-harmed as a teen. Here's what I want parents to know. Up to 10% of young adults self-harm. Here one woman shares her story of what it was like to grow up a cutter and what parents need to know. 
by Kimberly Zapata, published on May 13, 2022. It began slowly, a cut here, a scrape there, and while I don't know how it started or why, it's been 20 years since I injured myself with purpose, with intention. 20 years since I dragged sharpened objects across my skin, I can still recall that feeling I got. The high. Why? Because I was a grieving 15-year-old, one who had lost her father two years earlier. I was an abused and neglected 15-year-old who grew up in chaos. My personal life was full of hurt and sadness. It was in disarray. And because I was an unwell 15-year-old, I was living with an undiagnosed and untreated mental health condition. Self-harm became an outlet. It was my escape, like, like it is for so many. According to Crisis Text Line, people who self-injure often do so because they need and or want a sense of control. They long for salvation and release. Self-harm and self-injury are any forms of hurting oneself on purpose, explains an article on Crisis Text Line. Usually when people self-harm, they do so, they do not do so as a suicide attempt. Rather, they self-harm as a way to release painful emotions. It's a way to cope with the process, the hard things in life. That was the case for me. I wanted to see something, to feel something, to remind myself that I was alive. Depression had zapped this feeling from me and left me gutted. I was a ghost in a shell. But seeing blood, feeling pain, it meant I was still breathing and my heart was still beating. In spite of the emptiness and numbness, I was still there. Now I could tell war stories of my actions and injuries. I could tell you about trips to the doctor's and counselor's office, about infections, irritations, and forced therapy. I could tell you how I hid my wounds with clothing, jewelry, and one creatively placed scrunchie. And I could tell you how I did what I did, the tools I used, my behaviors, tics, habits, and methodology. But I won't, because they are my stories. They do not add context or color. They mean nothing to anyone aside from me. I also do not want to become something of a poster child for self-injury and self-harm. I do not want to inspire others in some strange, unprecedented way. But if you're here, you want answers. You're likely dealing with this in your family, in your very home. The first thing I want to tell parents is this. If your teen, tween, or child is injuring themselves, be it via cutting, scratching, burning, or other means, know they are hurting, they are struggling, something is wrong, they are in pain. If your teen, tween, or child is injuring themselves, they may be scared and ashamed. I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I didn't see any other options. There was no way up or out. If your teen, tween, or child is injuring themselves, they may be overwhelmed and confused. Many who self-injures cannot pinpoint the reason. Rather, it becomes a habit or a tick. And if your teen, tween, or child is injuring themselves, they likely want help, though they may not know how to ask for what they need. They likely do not know what to say. Here are some things every parent should know about self-harm and how they can help their child. The causes of self-harm can vary. While self-injury and self-harm are often viewed as coping mechanisms, 
Ones which are maladaptive, there is no one cause. Some people injure themselves as an escape, particularly from feelings of helplessness, hopelessness, fear, grief, sadness, and anxiety. Others cut or burn themselves because they lack alternatives. They do not have means to handle external pressures. It becomes a crisis management tool. And others use self-harm as a form of stress relief instead of turning to running, for example. They use injury to release their pain. NSSI, or non-suicidal self-injury, is frequently used as a coping mechanism during times of intolerable stress when an individual isn't able to recruit healthier ways of coping, says Deepak Prabhakar, MD, MPH, the Chief of Medical Staff at Shepherd Pratt, a private nonprofit provider of mental health, special education, substance abuse, developmental disability, and social services. The majority of people say they engage in NSSI to make painful emotions like sadness or shame go away. Other people hurt themselves when feeling numb, saying things like, I wish I could just feel something. Some want to make bad things stop and others punish themselves. He adds, most people say they cut or do things to hurt themselves for more than one of these reasons. Here are some of the most common causes of self-harm according to the Mental Health Foundation. Depression, anxiety, difficulties at home, bullying, school stressors and pressures, low self-esteem, drug and alcohol use, being a member of the L. GBTQ plus community. Self-harm can be addictive. As with other maladaptive behaviors, self-harm can be addictive, particularly if when the individual is harming themselves, if they feel relief. When they realize it helped them feel better, they may be likely to do this again when upset and overwhelmed, explains an article from Shepard Pratt. Once this pattern starts, it can be difficult to resist the urge to harm unless there is a replacement behavior or a therapeutic intervention. That said, hope is not lost. Many individuals can and do gain control of this behavior. Most who engage in self-harm are not suicidal. Despite the fact that cutting, burning, and other forms of self-injury can be suicide methods, most individuals who self-harm are not suicidal. Approximately 10% of young people who self-harm, according to the Mental Health Foundation, and it's used as a way to manage whatever difficulties they are going through in their lives. Some people have described it as a way of staying alive and surviving the difficulties, the Foundation explains. But it's important to note that accidental suicide can and does occur. Accidental suicide from cutting too deeply or other dangerous behaviors is a big risk, explained Shepard Pratt in the article. For this reason, it is imperative that the person's Self-harming seeks and receives appropriate care. Stopping is not easy. Telling someone to just stop self-harming or knock it off isn't going to help save them. Your child is hurting and self-harm has become an outlet for them. Stopping is not that simple. Quitting self-harm requires much more than willpower, explains the National Alliance on Mental Health, or NAMI. Rather than berate yourself or shaming your loved one or offering them an ultimatum, you should be as supportive, patient, and understanding as possible. The good news is self-harm, it can feel scary. There is both help and hope. 
Many who injure themselves recover, breaking the cycle in a healthy way. Parents should speak with their child's pediatrician or another trusted health professional to see what is the best form of treatment would be. There are various support services and treatments available, including CBT, which focuses on building coping strategies and problem-solving skills, psychodynamic therapy, which helps to identify problems, Um, also safe alternatives, the Cornell Research Program on Self-Injury and Recovery, and the Adolescent Self-Injury Foundation. Treatment begins with an assessment from a professional, such as a psychiatrist or therapist, says Dr. J. They will determine the root causes of the struggles, provide a verbal assessment. They will then work with the patient to come up with a treatment plan. Thank you for joining us for the parenting program. My name is Angie Flynn. 